You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 426. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we take a break from television tonight to talk about the superhero classic, Deadpool. And I know you're excited, and you know, I'm looking forward to talking about it. But next up will be the pilot episode of Lucifer. And then if you've been paying attention to the Facebook group, you might have taken the hint. After that, we're going to take a look at Apple TV Plus's new series, Foundation, which is based on the classic Isaac Asimov novel. So really looking forward to that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, I was, you know, in fact, again, I was talking to uh, Mike today, and uh, he was pretty excited that we're doing – we're going to do Foundation, and, and I'm psyched. And, you know, I was – it's been a while since I've read the books, and I was thinking about going back, but I just don't think I have the time to go back and read the books. So um, I don't know if there's going to be as much, and probably a good thing is, you know, less me comparing the show to the books as I, I know I did, probably more than I should have with Brave New World. All right. Well, the only other thing I want to bring up for you guys is if Wayne and I sound a bit down tonight, if we sound as if we're. <sighs> just not really you know with it uh, there's a reason for that and we are both i think in stunned mode yeah i'll just leave it at that yeah i mean i rarely yell at the tv during sporting events but uh, I, well <laughs> i think I, I think i got my wife's attention on the couch <laughs> I, I literally watched the ravens lose twice because um, you know, when overtime, uh, it looked like the Raiders scored a touchdown. I was so disgusted. I just immediately turned the television off, brushed my teeth, went upstairs, uh, up in our room. My wife had the game. Even when she was asleep, but she had the game on. I go, bye, and the game's still going. I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like, okay. And, of course, right as I start watching again, Lamar Jackson fumbles, and, you know, three plays later, the game was over, so I got to watch the Ravens lose. Not once, but twice, which was so special. Yep. My wife, she went upstairs for a bit, and, and before she went, I said, well, figure out, you know, do you want to watch the episode of Billions, uh, you know, because this will be over shortly. And she said, yeah, that sounds good. She comes back down. I was like, uh, good news, bad news. <laughs> no, actually, it's bad news, bad news. Yeah, it's just bad. So, no, no good news. Anyway, uh, we will uh, we'll, we'll leave our bemoaning about the Ravens start to their season. Yeah. Um, if you want to contact us about ceasing talking about football and get back to genre TV, uh-huh. it is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Now, tonight in what we're watching, and, and you know, I, I've bemoaned many times, I seem to always have trouble finding something to watch, but I did get a, a peek at a show that is going to debut on NBC September 28th, and, you know, Michael referred to it, he hasn't seen it yet, but he's read about it as uh, NBC and Sci-Fi Light. Um, I've only seen the pilot, and it's called La Brea. And it takes place in Los Angeles. And basically, and this isn't a big spoiler, this is all over the promo for the show, the La Brea tar pits collapse into, I guess, the world's biggest sinkhole. And people fall down into the hole. And let's just say they're not all dead. And I'll leave it at that. You know, I'm going to watch the second episode and, 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 you know, we'll see where it goes from there. But it debuts September 28th, NBC. Uh, the other <laughs> movie that I watched, it seems to, uh, I seem to be back on this uh, recurring path once again, but it's on Prime Video and it's called Seaberg. And I don't know if you're familiar with the actress from the 60s and 70s, Jean Seaberg. She was. You know, extremely popular at the time. Okay, no, but but this is really more about not a biopic, but rather the FBI's involvement in surveilling her because of her ties to uh, black groups that were, you know, in the civil rights movement, and and she tried to use her celebrity in a positive way, and and they. You know, at least the group that that we see is uh, 
acknowledging that she can help. Anthony Mackie plays the male lead in it. Gene Seberg, portrayed by, come on, you know you want to say it. Uh, would it be Kristen Stewart or Tatiana it would be. It would be Kristen Stewart. <laughs> okay. I was, I was just and, listening to Fred's feedback. I had kind of Tatiana Maslany in my mind, but then I'm okay. like, Dave wouldn't be bringing this up if it was Tatiana yeah. Maslany. Well, he might, but yeah. more than likely yeah, Kristen right. Stewart. Yeah, but it is pretty good. And, and Anthony Mackie is, of course, great. And, he, and yeah. he's great in this as well. But uh, you know, check it out if, if you're into that sort of thing. It really takes us back to that turbulent time in the 60s in America and – you know, certainly, uh, I think, some, some good acting that everybody will appreciate. All right, what do you got? So the main thing is I, I watched uh, part five of uh, La Casa de Papel, a.k.a. Money okay. Heist. And, you know, I, I, I can't really talk about it because, I mean, there's just this. I, I, I was trying to think of a way to talk about it without, like, spoiling stuff. And really, I said what I said last week, kind of like it just doubled down on that, that it's just such a, a fun show, even though there's a lot of serious things that happen in it. It's, you know, it's it's just funny rooting for the quote unquote, like bad guys who are actually the good guys, you know, like there's there's this one guy, he's a, a security guard at the bank who kind of goes rogue. And tries to take down all the quote unquote bad guys who are obviously our protagonists, the the, the robbers or the people who have taken over the, the bank. But in, in this show, he's the unhinged, you know, awful evil guy, and the the robbers are the the good guys. And I'm thinking, well, this is just like the reverse of Die Hard. Like this guy's the exact like mirror image of, of Bruce Willis and Die Hard, whereas it's just a matter of who does the you know the the filmmakers build up sympathy for so it's it's just great i, I mean i can't recommend it. it's just such a it's a wild ride every episode is a roller coaster um it's can't, can't miss awesome the other show that i just watched the first episode i'm going to watch more of it cuz i liked it was i don't know if you've heard about reservation dogs I have not. So this is uh, Taika Waititi, who is the writer and director of Thor Ragnarok and uh, Jojo Rabbit, um, The Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, obviously, the not quite as popular movie as the other two, but very, very, very funny guy. His movies are absolutely brilliant. I love his movies. They're all hilarious. And so this is his project, and I don't think I don't know if he. I'm not sure exactly 100 percent what his role is. I know he's very heavily part of it. Uh, I think he's done some of the writing. I don't know if he's directed the episodes, but it um, it follows a group of of from episode one of young people at a um, indigenous reservation in Oklahoma, and you know it's just these are these these kind of teenagers and they're into the petty crime a little bit. The the first thing we see is they, they steal this truck, but they can't get the, the loading ramp up. So they leave it down. So they're like trying to run from the police with the loading ramp, you know, <laughs> scraping behind them on the road. So it's just little things like that, that are just, it is a very, very funny show. I'm looking forward to watching some more of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully more people watch it. Cause I think it also kind of does bring, some also awareness into um, you know a population here in America that often his uh, his voices are unheard to say the least. Okay, is that on Netflix or HBO? I'm sorry, that's on Hulu. Oh, Hulu. Okay, yeah, I don't have Hulu, so okay, um, I wouldn't either. Except to. my son has an account from school. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so, all right, sounds good. Well, let's get to some Deadpool. Directed by Tim Miller. This was released February 12th, 2016. I checked the box office figures. It did okay. $782 million, just, just shy of a billion. Uh, which, you know, got them a Deadpool 2, which was sure. released in 2018. Uh, I, upped it a little I, I bit. I think it's, it's one of those movies that it did pretty well at the box office. Deadpool was a pretty popular comic book character. But I think um, it's post 
box office life in DVD or streaming sales, I think is where it really, really kind of took off. Well, even Deadpool 2, the box office was $786 million. I mean, dude, we're talking three quarters of a billion. Yeah. And uh, again, not surprisingly, Deadpool Deadpool 3 is very much in the conversation at the moment. So uh, Yeah, well, part um, of the conversation, well, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it. I mean, obviously, now that the Mouse House has taken over, you know, yeah. how does how does Disney release a Deadpool movie? You know, yeah, yeah. Who knows? But uh, but a couple of things strike me uh, after watching this movie a couple of times. And one is, you know, and it's not good or bad. I mean, I guess it's good for Ryan Reynolds. He doesn't really have to actually be around for that much filming. I mean, I'm guessing a lot of the scenes that's not him under well, the mask. Well, right. Apparently, you know, those scenes where he's like jumping in the air and doing three turns in the air as he jumps well, over Well, the car. yeah, of course. I feel but like I mean, that's he, definitely <laughs> right. Else. But yeah, there, a lot of the movie he is under the mask, but you know, a lot of it he's not though too, so. Oh, I know, I know. But, uh, and again, it doesn't take away from anything. Um, but, and again, you jump in, take this any direction you want to go, correct me if I'm wrong, which I probably will be about certain things but the premise as i see it wade wilson aka deadpool is this ex merc who's now doing pro bono and i'm making air quotes yeah. community work uh, <laughs> that scene know. oh my god with the pizza oh yeah exactly <laughs> and he learns that he has inoperable cancer in multiple locations he's offered an experimental procedure the results are less than satisfactory and the movie really becomes a revenge flick where he wants to not only exact revenge on the, uh, and again, I'm making air quotes, doctor who, who uh, gave him these powers, but also a cure for his disfigurement, which we learn isn't actually in the cards. So obviously there's a lot more to fill in, but it's a revenge film, right? Well, I tend to agree with um, with what uh, Deadpool himself tells us that it's a love film, okay, a love story. So, and sorry, and I can certainly see. Well, and I can certainly see that. I mean, especially when we get to the end, and and of course, he's reluctant to make contact with Vanessa again, played by Marina Baccarin, uh, who we of course know from V. What was that other yeah. show? She was in another show. Was um, she? I, yeah, I think so. No. Um, well, I mean, I mean, obviously, she's best known for V. I mean, you yeah. Know. But uh, um, all right, go ahead. You can say it. Yeah, well, I mean, she was in, you know, Firefly. Firefly. And some people might <laughs> not know that. And if you don't know that, we're not doing our jobs, dude. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, understandably, he's reluctant to see her because he it's like he doesn't want to put her in a situation where she feels uncomfortable where she feels like she's a bad person if she doesn't accept him for the way he looks now and 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 of course there's you know certainly something to be said for somebody like that and and of course we see her reaction at the end which is believable i guess but you know right it is a love story. I mean, yeah, and, and I think that's some of my favorite scenes. And, and I have seen this movie a lot, like uncountably a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, do I consider myself an expert on it? I don't know if I'd say expert, but you know, but I find some of my favorite scenes are the scenes with Vanessa and and Wade, and the I, I think that 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 is the. The beating heart of this movie is that that love story between them, and obviously that there's not. And when the first time he claims it's a love story, he's got a guy impaled on two samurai swords uh, hanging over his head. Uh, so it's tough at that time to really buy into that, and we think ah, that's just a funny line. But then when you really look at the movie, it's like you know this really is like he is primarily motivated. By, by love you know love is what causes him to uh leave vanessa and 
try to get the you know he he tells her he doesn't want her to have to be around when he's you know dying from cancer he doesn't want her to have to take care of him and all this stuff so he he leaves to do it on his own and so everything he pretty much does is you know basically you know kind of for her to get back with her and uh so yeah i I like the love story angle of it yeah well the other thing that strikes me is that you know i i do like a lot of the marvel series I've, i've said many times i'm not a big fan of the superhero movie but certainly so many of the series are dark the characters are dark the tone of the series is dark and that's fine i love that stuff here when you really get below the surface the subtext here this is a dark human being but it's almost as if he refuses to let us see his darkness and that's so refreshing on so many levels yeah absolutely i mean it's just you know it's 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 not unlike um, you know, the Suicide Squad, the, the newest incarnate movie version of that, where the, you know, the intense violence and many places, gory violence, um, is offset by the, the, the lighthearted tone overall of the movie. And even though like, the, you know, obviously some hor- horrific things happen to, to Wade in this movie, I, I think you're right. I think at the, the center of it, he's kind of like a character who doesn't really allow himself to be to fall into dejection or despair yeah and you know i'm not sure i've seen a movie that uses the breaking of the fourth wall to such good effect as they do here because it's a, a device that you know used improperly really can get annoying and they do it a lot here and yeah. and you might think, well, geez, they, they're doing it so much. How, doesn't it lose its impact? No, it really doesn't. No, no. That's, and that's again, one, another like really part of this movie that I really, really love is that, that postmodernist breaking of the fourth wall there, you know, um, if I could show this movie in school, I would, when we talk about, cause I teach 11th grade, we do American lit. We have a postmodernism unit and, if I could show this film to him, I totally would because it's just such a great example in so many ways. Um, but yeah, you know, like you're right that that technique used inexpertly can can really fly in your face and really you know do be the opposite of what you intended. But it's just such, and they they weave it in so like it seems like almost effortlessly, you know that. Like that first time when it happens, he's like sitting there on the bridge and the camera kind of creeps up on him. He turns the camera's like, oh, hello. Yeah, it was exactly. just like, oh, my God. That's great. You had me at hello, Deadpool. You had me at hello. So. Now, you know, another thing you mentioned to me previously is the nonlinear storytelling, which, you know, of course, is seen in a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows. And here it alternates between the present and then the days leading up to his fateful decision to receive that procedure. Uh, but the other thing that drives me crazy about shows that do this is, is the, the need to superimpose the word present day every time right. they come back. You know, we're not stupid. Right. <laughs> we can figure, and they don't do that here, which, which again, I... Uh, no, they I don't. Do and, like. and I love how what, it, you know, like the first, it's like two almost flashbacks, Eric, because we get... It starts off with the the title sequence, which is my favorite opening title sequence in the history of cinema. I think, you know, and then you now he's in the car with Dopinder going, you know, and then you know it basically goes back a couple hours to bring us up to that point that they started with, and then plays through that whole sequence there, and then takes us back way back for the origin story and everything, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's like actually multiple different flashbacks that, you know, the, the first flashback actually only goes back a couple hours, you know, and then the, then it takes us back years, I guess, or at least a couple months. Uh, and I just, I, I love how, how they do that. I just think that that's so awesome. And the way they tell the story, 
Um, you just can't, you can't just sit there dumbly and accept the story, right? You have to like follow, you have to pay attention and everything. Yeah. And you know, the, the funny thing is I, I look at my notes, I was thinking, all right, I'm going to put Wayne on the spot. Maybe I should give him a heads up that I'm going to ask him this. All right. All but, right. Let's do it. I'm, I'm not well, afraid. Well, and I, I guess now that the discussion's underway, <laughs> I almost have my, my answer already, but there's a YouTube channel that I watch all the time by this guy, Rick Beato, and he's a musician and a producer, and he's got this one segment that he does regularly, What Makes This Song Great? And he breaks it down, and a lot of them are just pop songs that uh-huh. we might ordinarily dismiss. So I'm thinking, all right, what makes Deadpool great? It's got to be more than just the tonal irreverence, which is a big part of what makes big it part, great. Absolutely. But, but we've been talking about some of the things. Um, you know, what haven't we gotten to yet? Uh, have we not talked about the violence? <laughs> no, that, like okay, what it, makes. Yeah, I mean, it is clearly an action movie, and the violence is clearly over the top, but. Again, it, I guess it's that tonal irreverence that it's coupled to that doesn't make it seem as horrific, even right. though it really is. Well, the, 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 when the, the action really starts, he drops off a bridge to go through the roof of a moving car <laughs> and then starts fighting the guys inside. They smash his head against the, the chair. He says, ooh, rich Corinthian leather, you know? And yeah. Just, Everything, you know, pulling out the, the the cigarette lighter, which they aren't even in cars anymore. How did they come up with it? People probably watch this movie. Might, well, I guess maybe 2016. Maybe they still have them. I don't know. Um, you know, and shoving it in the guy's mouth and, you know, uh, just the you know, just the severely, severely over the top. The, the guy who gets flung up and smashed against the billboard. And then later, one of my favorite lines when... You know, when Colossus is there and what is remaining of that guy drops off. He's like, that guy was there when I got here. (laughs) Well, and you know, the other thing, and of course we see a lot of guys get their brains literally blown out. But, you know, you mentioned that opening scene, which is presented to us in slow motion. And then we see it later in more or less real time. So it's fascinating to see that presented those two different ways but uh, again well, yeah, the spe- first time we watch we're like what the hell is this you know like what they're playing angel of the morning by juice newton and i'm seeing these you know still images of of v- very violent things happening uh deadpool grabbing a guy's uh pants uh pulling down his underwear and everything like what the heck and of course you know those those questions are answered for us as you as you said in pretty pretty quickly right and i think with that slow motion opening we're immediately disoriented not only from you know you know the the fact that we're seeing things upside down or are we is and you know trying to get our bearings in addition to figuring out what's going on as well You've said many times you hate voiceovers, and I've really come to agree with you. But here in this this cab ride, Deadpool's explaining about the guy he's after who caused his facial disfigurement, and we're fine with it. Yeah, just because of the way it's presented, because yeah. he's such a likable character. Absolutely right. And, yeah, I knew. Like, watch this again. Like, yep my uh, my my aversion to to voiceovers is is going to get called to the carpet on this one because obviously i've made no bones about this is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time and uh and there's a lot of voiceover in it but you're right they do it in a in a expert like you know we are we are with wade the whole time right he's he's just taking us along for this journey this ride so when he breaks in with the narration that's not happening on screen it's like we hardly notice, right? Because we're just so used to hearing that voice, right? And, and that voice is just carrying us through uh, the entire movie. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I love how they do it here. Well, well, and the other thing it enables them to do is keep the film at a workable length. I mean, you know, again, as teachers, we've often said, you know, 
uh, show, don't tell. So clearly they could have, you know, inserted scenes that would answer that question, but then the movie would be two hours and 45 minutes long, which is, you know, not really what most companies want to do these days. You know, the, the other thing that comes into this story that I think is really significant is that whole idea of the X-Men and Deadpool's apparent refusal to join Xavier's group, which again is fascinating. I'm not sure. I kind of get a sense that it gets explored in Deadpool 2. I don't know if that's true or not, but no. Um, well, I mean, it is uh, Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead are both in Deadpool 2 again, but it's they're used almost exactly the same as they are in the first movie, as you know, buddies to call in time of need but also you know, for a lot of comic relief as well. Okay. But, but again, with that group in the background, you know, that, that I like knowing that maybe somewhere down the road, Deadpool will see some advantage to joining the X-Men and, or maybe not. But uh, the other thing that. Well, just before we ju- leave the X-Men, just yeah. that that's, you know, I absolutely love the, that that awareness that again that breaking that fourth wall that 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 self awareness that the character is a character in in a movie you know he goes to the mansion he's like you know it's funny how no one's here it's it's almost like they uh you know they couldn't didn't want to pay for the, uh, all those actors or so I can't remember exactly what he says you know but but you know uh, it's voicing the same thing we said and then you know when Colossus is dragging him away he says something about Professor X he's like so is that Stuart or or, or McAvoy, you know, I, right. I have trouble getting the, the timeline straight, which this is after Days of Future Past. So, you know, yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're right there with him as far as like the confusing timelines with the two Professor X's and they actually, in uh, Days of Future Past, they're both in the, the same movie together. Um, so those, those nods to, you know, like that awareness of that Deadpool is aware that he's a character in the movie, you know, like he doesn't say it straight up, but he, he lets us know, yeah, you know, this is yeah. a movie and all that X-Men stuff is, is just, that's uh, priceless. Right. Now, the actress that I immediately recognized is, is Brianna Hildebrand, who plays Negasonic Teenage Warhead because she's in season six of Lucifer in, in a really significantly important role so uh that was really cool for me seeing, seeing that and her character is great like that oh, yeah what an no awesome question. character <laughs> yeah and, and and she's got a lot of the same vibe in lucifer as well so i don't you know want to spoil anything for people that haven't seen season six yet which just dropped a few days ago but uh you know we get some more of the background of wade and you already you know brought out the 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 one key line that some of the best love stories start with a murder and we go flashback two years and we see he's hired to convince this stalker to leave a girl alone yeah, uh, okay, I'm convinced. But, but again, I'm just a bad guy who gets paid to fuck up worse guys. Right. Like, like classic. But but then learning the origin of his superhero name, I, I mean, dude, it's just awesome. Yeah, and, and you know, of course, the uh, – I can't remember the, the name of the bar, but, you know, yeah. uh, T.J. Miller plays – weasel and you know he is he he is a freaking hilarious guy I, I, I you know apparently very difficult to work with professionally um he was on actually there's two x well not x i guess at the time probably they were still probably in uh silicon valley uh the um sitcom from hbo uh the guy who played dopinder as well was in silicon valley and both those guys are just as far as you know, comic relief goes, just absolutely outstanding. T.J. Miller gets some of the best lines in the movie, and and again, that's just again all part of that. You know, that whole vibe of the movie is just this winking, self-knowing kind of like self-aware type uh, vibe where the, you know, the characters are all you know they're freaking hilarious. Well, they are. And, and, you know, again, at the the Merc Bar, which is where he 
eventually meets Vanessa. The two start to flirt later. I think it's time to put some balls in holes. And <laughs> but they fall in love, and then we see their relationship progress through the holidays. And as a first-time viewer, I'm, I'm just really digging the way their relationship is going. And you're thinking like, okay, you know, this is really what this guy needs. And then, boom, we're hit with the late-stage cancer pronouncement. And, you know, suddenly everything comes to a crashing halt, which, you know, from a narrative perspective is good for the storyline and, and uh, the way it proceeds. But, you know, it, it, again, I just think they handled that that really well. You know, you mentioned lines. I mean, again, I mean, there are just so many. I could have a whole page of just the, the, the great lines. But when uh, he finally tracks down Francis, I'm about to do to you what Limp Biscuit did to music in the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So I guess you got to know who Limp Biscuit was, which, of course, we do because we were around. Sure, um, sure. I don't necessarily like. I was going to say that line, but I don't know if I 100 percent agree with it. So, but yeah, that's a hilarious line, though. But then you know, Colossus and and Negasonic. It's almost like they're there to keep him in check to prevent him from doing something that he will later regret. And given everything that's happened to him, given everything that he's done anyway. I'm not sure he would have those regrets, but but you have to like the fact that they are trying to do that, that that they see a a fellow mutant, you know, in in you know the same way, and they just want to offer some of their experience you know, to this guy that's clearly still floundering around. And mm-hmm. um, you know, once we get into you know the procedure, so as I understand it, this doctor, again, I forget what his name. Oh, Francis. Francis. Um, yeah, come on. You forgot yeah. his name, I, dude. Well, I just said like, it a minute ago. Um, <laughs> it's a huge part of the movie, right? His name is like this big deal. So he's telling Wade that, that inflicting all of this pain on him is a means of unlocking his dormant mutant genes. Yes? Yes. That, okay. Correct. And, well, they give them. They also inject them with that stuff. That's, a, you know, I think the 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 pain plus whatever they're injecting him with is supposed to then you know bring out his okay. mutation. Okay. And you know, I I guess everybody again. I can't remember what the Marvel universe is, is saying about this. Does everybody have that gene? and that it's dormant in everybody or in, in most people, and for some people it can be drawn out, or only certain people have it. I, you know what? I, I don't okay. think so. I'm not, I, okay. I, I'm not sure, though. Because, you know, I, I feel like, the, you know, no, it's just, it, it's, it's not everyone. Because, yeah, clearly not everyone. Because, okay. um, yeah, like with Cerebro, uh, you know, Professor X can find the mutants and the humans, and so there's there's people who don't have the mutant genes at all. So, oh, okay. but but you know, Wade Wilson is, you know, he he is a mutant. For, like he he's actually was in. You probably never saw, and you definitely should not. I'm not recommending this movie at all. Is X Men Origins Wolverine? Is actually Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool in that movie? when he he's been changed into like we we see early on he's wade wilson and then later wolverine fights him as deadpool but he's had his lips sewed shut so when francis says i might have to sew those lips shut it's kind of like a little wink to uh, the previous movie which is not a good movie in in any way shape or form and i would not recommend it at all now, now we've mentioned Marina Baccarin having starred in Firefly and, and V, among other things, and Brianna Hildebrand and Lucifer. Ryan Reynolds, who of course plays Deadpool, we we know as the Mint Mobile guy on on TV ads. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's been in anything else. No, other I, just, than Deadpool. I think it's just the TV okay. ads. And everything, okay, though. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, obviously they do make reference to his infamous turn as Green Lantern. Um, I think there's there's even one point where he's you know basically says if you give me a suit 
just make sure it's not green. Exactly. Again, just the the, the reference drops are, are all just perfectly placed. I mean, later on, you know, he blows up the lab, which was brilliantly executed, I must say. But we, you know, we learn Francis is powered as well, impales Wade with a piece of rebar, and then asks Wade several times, "What's my name?" I guess that's yeah. a Breaking Bad reference. You haven't seen Breaking Bad? I've seen Breaking Bad. I just don't oh, okay. know if that's, if that's what they're going with there. Do we know who Francis works for and, and of course, his uh, partner, Angel? I mean, they're clearly not government-connected, or are they? I mean, they seem like some sort of a rogue operation, which is in production of you know getting these powered people that they can then auction off to higher bidders. So... Is that it? I mean, is there something else I'm missing? We, no, I don't think you're missing anything. We just—I don't think we ever really get an idea. It, you know, we—it seems like he's not the the big boss here, but um, you know, we don't really get. It. And of course, at the end, you know, all those guys who are lined up to, you know, take down Wade um, have you know kind of very military style equipment on them. But I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just some private, very powerful company probably tied in with the government, though. But they, they don't really answer. And, and honestly, it because they want to keep the story personal, so Wade doesn't care about who Francis works for or what the larger picture is. He's He's just focused on, you know, finding Francis so he can fix me. So I can right. get Vanessa back. You right, know? right. And, and when he sees how people react to his face, he he decides to walk away from, you know, that reunion that, that you know, he comes so close to having. And then he decides to wear the mask since Francis thinks he's dead, not so much to hide his, you know, disfigured face. And, and then, right. of course... Uh, you know, we learn the origin of Deadpool and the search for Francis begins. And 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 again, we mentioned that that the uh, storyline is very nonlinear, and sometimes it's hard to keep things straight. That's not the case here. It, it's right. I won't say it's easy, but again, if you're paying attention, like you said, it's yeah, uh, yeah, it's that time. Well, and, and you know, we mentioned the origins. Like one of my favorite parts of it is he early in the movie. You know, in the first flashback. Um, he says, you know why I wear the red, so you can't see me bleeding. And then when he becomes, quote unquote, Deadpool, one of the first you know jobs he does, he's got a white hoodie and white sweatpants on. <laughs> and he gets blood all over it. And at the end of the scene, he just kind of looks down and sees all the blood. And then, you know, okay, we get it. That's, uh, that's why he goes with the red. So um, there's just little things like that. You know, that's like they don't make a big deal out of that. But it's just like, hey, remember that line before? Well, here's a shout out to that line before. And um, all those little knowing references are, are again, like when, when we ask what makes this movie so good, you know, that's another little, there's just, I think, I don't think there's necessarily any one thing. I think the big thing is that that love story, which is so strong, and we really pull for Vanessa and Wade uh, together. And then, you know, I think that's really the, the main kind of attraction for this movie but then there's millions of little things like like that with the the you know wearing a, a white sweatsuit that gets blood on it that you know explains why he decided to wear red just you know just so great just when we think we know what's going to happen and, and i guess you could argue i should have seen this coming francis and angel they're still in business they 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 try to get a lead on finding wade and of course they they go to the merc bar they find vanessa they kidnap her because they they know that will draw deadpool into the open which of course is what it does we know that showdown is imminent you know we've talked about colossus and uh, negasonic as you know coming to his aid and and you know he goes to xavier's to enlist their help and, and again on the one hand, you think he's going to go into it just on his own. But again, I, I like the fact that he has enough wherewithal to, to realize he needs help. 
Yeah, they there's actually. The- I I just gotta mention because one of the the absolute funniest parts of Deadpool two is he does agree to you know kind of do a tryout for the X Men, and they go on a mission together, and he has like a, a yellow jersey on that says trainee. <laughs> it's just like so i'm you know that's not a spoiler or anything but i just like just remind, reminded that because i mean i don't know whatever all right i'm sorry well well the first thing i notice when they get to the shipyard which is where the showdown's going to take place and i'm looking is that a destroyed shield helicarrier and i'm looking at it several times i even paused it once i'm like it sure as hell looks like it. Well, I guess I wasn't the only one that thought it because I did run across a an interview Tim Miller did. He goes, no, it just looks like one. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever, dude. I mean, <laughs> come on. It's part of the Marvel Universe. I don't know what the big deal is. but Right, right. So he's got Vanessa in that glass chamber. And, y- you know, uh, it, it's been a while since we've talked about the uh, the Bechtel test, I think that's what it's called, right? Um, the Bechtel test, yeah. But, and and that's not exactly what's going on here. But I mean, no. the whole saving the damsel in distress certainly is a factor. But I guess you can make the case that she does do a lot on her own to well, she, free free herself. She, she yeah. you know, stabs francis right yes 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 and right. and uh you know so so certainly there is that but uh, even that it's see i don't want to say we can overlook that because you know the whole damsel in distress thing i mean of course i don't want to say it is sexist it certainly can be and we're certainly trying to get away from it but what are we going to say that that we can never have a, a woman in trouble and a man saves her well that kind of narrows the possibilities yeah. for uh, storytelling well, so yeah i, you I just have to here, be careful. you know i mean obviously negasonic teenage warhead is instrumental absolutely in, in the eventually defeating the the big baddie you know i think they the character of vanessa is right from the start presented as a very independent strong woman you know um, who makes her own decisions, and so she's not. And and even after Wade leaves, it's not like she's mooning over him. She's moved on, and she's got her life. Uh, of course, we don't see that she's you know, in any kind of other relationship. I don't think that really matters. Is that as, as part of the fact that she's you know kind of while she still thinks of him, she's kind of moved on. I don't know. I I I I like Vanessa as a. I I wouldn't call her necessarily a a feminist character, but she's a very strong female character for sure. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, as is Negasonic, and and uh, even though we don't see her a lot in, in this, uh, she's still great. We get that unveiling. Vanessa sees Wade as he looks now, and you know we 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 you know we get that happy ending with them, and then. Colossus tells Wade there at the end, we're going to make an X-Man out of you yet. And, you know, you just mentioned a couple minutes ago in Deadpool 2 that he's got his little training mission. Um, I guess I would argue he's already an X-Man by, I think, by character. And whether he's actually part of the group or not doesn't really matter, you know? Yep. I, I, I think... I think if one of the X-Men called on him for help, he would be there without question. Well, nah, he'd, probably, he'd probably have a couple questions. but Yeah. I think actually, and, and again, I was, I, when I was a kid, I, was, I, I collected Avengers comics. So I, I, um, X-Men to me seemed like they had too many. There were too many X-Men comics out there. I, I couldn't afford to keep up with all of them. So I just collected Avengers. So I really don't know a lot about the X-Men. But I think that Deadpool was part of a kind of para-X-Men group called X-Factor, which is the group he, I believe he puts together in, in Deadpool 2. So I think he kind of has his own, oops, sorry. I think he has his own kind of like side group that, uh, I, I, and I don't know, I, I, I guess, I, don't, I have no idea if he ever actually joined X-Men or not, but uh, but either way, as you said, he, he certainly 
um, despite his loner kind of attitude, is not averse to working with a team. And you had to bring up X Factor, which reminded me of one of those bases that got away. But that's uh, a I'm sorry, sad man. story for another day. Uh. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, any, anything else you want to bring up about Deadpool? Oh, my goodness. How many things? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. I, I don't know. I think we 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 actually covered a lot about some of the great stuff in this. I, I think for the at the end of this, I'm, I'm instead of just one line, I'm going to have a litany of lines at at the end of the show. So just just to get you ready for that. Okay, and I will certainly say I went into this somewhat skeptical. That skepticism dissipated after about five minutes, maybe six at the uh, well, I'm <laughs> so, glad, uh, I, I, I thought you'd like it I'm, I'm i'm very glad that you did because but I, yeah. actually just one thing that mentions some of the music that they play um because we have this super violent m- movie right and with all this action and blood and gore he claims it's a love story and you know what i think the music backs it up we've got angel of the morning by juice newton later we're going to have you're the inspiration by chicago uh, and then, of course, during the closing credits, uh, Careless Whisper from Wham. So these are three huge, sappy 80s songs that when I was a teenager, just, yeah, <laughs> sure. were, were, were super popular. And, and I, I, I'm, I, I'll admit that I liked all of those songs. And I might have two of the three albums that those songs come from. So yeah, clearly a lot of, of uh, shout outs to, to Gen X in this movie. Yeah. Well, one, one last thing that I, I forgot about that we'd be totally remiss in not mentioning Leslie Uggams as blind Al. Right. And while she's not, you know, a huge part of the story, that connection she has with Wade you know, I, I think will end up being important if she's in Deadpool 2. I, I have no idea. Yeah. But if you don't know Leslie Uggams, huge actress and singer in the 60s and 70s. And what I learned was she was the first black actor to have his or her own show, um, which in the 60s, was huge. Actually, I think there was somebody like Nat King Cole that may have had a variety show in the fifties, but but you know, so she was a pretty important figure in not only the civil rights movement, but certainly as a you know an entertainer as well. So, uh, all right, you want to move on to Fred's feedback? Sure. Okay. All right. We'll hear what Fred's got, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the 2016 Marvel movie Deadpool. Of course, it's meant as a comical superhero movie with breaking down the fourth wall. So meaning the hero is talking to the audience as well. I initially thought, do I really like this? This is so over the top meant funny. But going along and having to watch the whole movie, I thought it was quite okay. Tremendous good special effects, really, really good. As well as in fast pace as in slow motion. Some of those things were predictable, of course, because if he still has one bullet and you see these three guys line up, then you immediately know he will use the one bullet uh, to kill them all three. A little bit too much violent for me, a lot of uh, flashing skulls, etc. That was actually one of my complaints in Tribes of Europa as well. But here it is in a more or less humoristic tone, and then it's less awful than in the very dark tone in which Tribes of Europa is filmed. Of course, the role of Morena Bakarin was very nice. I like her a lot Good memories about her for her role in Firefly, which I recently rewatched. 
which is actually quite nice because there is a Nevers podcast that I actually didn't listen to because you did the Nevers, but they do a off-season rewatch of Firefly. And because I recently watched it and that was not the first time, I really can follow that podcast without watching the series again. And since I'm more or less out of podcasts and start cycling more and more to my work again... Instead of doing everything from home, including giving lectures, meetings, etc. Another podcast I actually listen to is an old Orphan Black podcast called The C Word. And that, of course, I can really follow without watching Orphan Black for the fifth time. I just don't watch enough at the moment to have podcasts to listen to. Although I'm watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a slow pace and listen to The Sandbox. But having two podcasts a week is not enough when you have to go to work five days a week. Of course, the main character, Deadpool, is played by Ryan Reynolds, who I know from Woman in Gold, which is a movie with Tatiana Maslany. And there, of course, we have an Orphan Black connection as well. Ryan Reynolds plays there together with Helen Mirren um, about a Jewish refugee who tries to regain her rights on stolen Jewish art in the Second World War. And in this case, it's a clamped painting called The Woman in Gold. And Tatiana Maslany plays the young version of the character Helen Mirren plays. Looking up... Ryan Reynolds, I found him on IMDb in a Fast and Furious movie. And although I have a very nice memory of Woman in Gold, which I also watched in the cinema with my wife, there was another movie where he and also Helen Mirren had a minor role in, and that's Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. An awful film, which I actually watched in the cinema, but only halfway. Two years ago, our, at that time, 18-year-old son had a party at home and he just wanted to have his parents out of the house. So we picked a movie uh, and when we arrived at the cinema, it uh, was cancelled and we just had to pick another movie. And these Fast and Furious movies are really horrible. So my wife and I just survived half the movie and then went out. And that was good because our son then called because there were some problems at home. So we, we he could go home anyhow. This year, by the way, he also had a party, uh, but he just bent his parents to the upper floors of the house, and that went well. Then we have Gina Carano, who plays Angel Dust here, and she also played Cara Dune in the Star Wars series The Mandalorian, which I think you both watch, or at least Wayne. But disturbing is then that because of kinds of political things, etc., she is not, let's say, in a positive attention field. And that always plays a role when you then watch a movie and you know there is something wrong with this actor and, and you see her perform there. Uh, that's a pity. Actually, you shouldn't know such things then. The first half of the movie has a lot of flashbacks. These flashbacks are more or less little unrealistic because he has them and are quite long in really fraction of seconds when he is in the middle of a fight or whatever but nevertheless it's a little bit too much of course it gives the origin story very well but yeah interspersed and then this breaking the fourth wall it, it's all no, i wouldn't say confusing because it's quite clear but it's a bit hectic because of that it makes the movie quite high speed and actually not only high speed but a little bit HDAD kind of setting. The sexual jokes and insinuations I found a little bit sometimes over the top, too many, not very subtle. Well, it doesn't have to be, but still too much. But completely fitting in the setting of this movie. Still enjoyed the movie, but it's not a movie I would rewatch. let's say. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Looking forward to the next thing, which is Lucifer, and I never watched that series, so looking forward to see the premiere. All right, now, I, we knew Fred would mention the violence, and mm-hmm. yeah, again, like we said, it, it seems less awful because of the 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 lighter tone of, of deadpool and, and and that's certainly cool fred glad to hear you're back at work in a more traditional manner and, and correct me if i'm wrong fred i always got the sense that you enjoy the bike ride 
into work where it kind of gives you a chance to listen to a podcast and maybe get your thoughts together. I'm probably a bit too lazy to (laughs) want to do something like that if I was still working. But, you know, the other thing with Ryan Reynolds as an actor, and Fred mentioned some of the more serious roles that he's played. And for me, he's one of those actors because I see him one way he's going to really have to work hard to win me over for those more serious roles. And not that he can't, but I understand what Fred's saying there. And are you a fast and furious uh, fan? No, no, I I don't, I don't think I've, I, I think I was in a hotel one time this past summer and Hobbs and Shaw was on and I tried to watch it and it lasted like five minutes. Yeah. And I'm not averse no. to movies like that, you know, but I just, no. <laughs> yeah. And then he, he kind of alludes to something that, that I've certainly mentioned struggling with in the past uh, in our hyper-political landscape when it comes to actors voicing his or her, you know, opinions about politics and then me taking it. It's like, well, then I don't want to see anything they're in. And I think quickly realizing, well, you know what? You're not going to have anything to watch pretty soon. So, uh, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. It's uh, not, well, you know, but Gina Carano, especially, I think we've talked about this before. It just seems like she had so many opportunities for just to step back from the ledge and she just refused to, you know, like in a way, okay. I mean, that's admirable that you won't let people, muzzle you and you're going to say what you think no matter how stupid it is but on the other hand it's like you just walked away from i mean how long would she be a star in star wars disney shows movies like you know like you had you had it freaking made and you threw it away so you could say stupid shit about vaccinations man like right, right. Yeah, and, and again, it just goes back to that that idea that it's frightening how many people don't understand the fundamentals behind the First Amendment. Yeah. They think it's one thing when it's not at all. Right. So, again, I don't know what to say other than that. But yeah, like you said, she threw her career away. So. Yeah, literally, it's it's and. You know, and it, it sucks because obviously she was great in The Mandalorian. She was many people's favorite character. And, uh, you know, she just, you know, had a chance to step back and just closed out her Twitter account and collect paychecks. But, you know, for better or worse, she wouldn't. So oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah. All right, Fred, thank you for the feedback. That will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Deadpool. You know, anything else going on in your genre TV world? Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Our email is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com if you want to contact us. We'll be back next week to talk about the pilot episode of the fantasy series Lucifer. But until then... Okay, so before I start my litany, I just want this one thing I forgot to mention that Ed Scrain, who played Francis, was the original Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones. And then, um, you know, he left after one year. And uh, uh, the Dutch guy, Michael, what's his name? Huseman. Huseman, <laughs> yeah, came in and played. So anyway, all right, here we go. I think there's a reason I'm in this cab. Yeah, you, you called me, remember? Stupid. Worth it. I'm touching myself tonight. And who's Kitty Lear that just shit in? That came out wrong. Or did it? Cheers, your health. Fuck you. Say the words, fat Gandalf. You love skee-ball apparently more than you love vagina. That's why Regina rhymes with fun. No, wham! Make it big, it's the album George and Andy earned the exclamation point. You win, your life is officially way more fucked up than mine. If I ever hit fuck it, I'll look you up. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to them. You ever see 127 hours? Spoiler alert. Please don't make me super su- Please don't make the super suit green or animated. You're going to leave me alone here with less angry Rosie O'Donnell? Did I say this is a love story? No, it's a horror movie. 
I don't want to see or think of that again. Deadpool. That sounds like a fucking franchise. God, I miss cocaine. I wish I'd never heard of Craigslist. Today was about as much fun as a sandpaper dildo. You think Ryan Reynolds got this far on his superior acting method? Have fun at your midnight showing of Blade 2. I'd go with you, but I don't want to. Want to get fucked up? Ripley from Alien 3. Fuck, you're old. I so pity the dude that pressures her into prom sex. Don't worry, I'm totally on top of this. Four or five moments, that's all it takes to be a hero. Floor space, dental floss, even condoms. After a brief adjustment period and a bunch of drinks, it's a face I'd be proud to sit on. And finally, you look like an avocado had sex with an older and more disgusting avocado. Not gently, like it was hate-fucking. There was something wrong with the relationship, and that was the only catharsis they could find without violence. Thank you.